，鬼岛之音。Ghost Island Media. Today's episode is supported by the Institute for National Defense and Security Research in Taiwan, a think tank dedicated to fueling knowledge-based policy analyses and strategic assessments on Taiwan's security. You just heard a recording of Gwyneth Chen playing Franz Liszt's Transcendental Etudes. Gwyneth is a world-class solo pianist who will be opening the concert season for the National Taiwan Symphony Orchestra at the end of this month. It will be one of the first, if not the first, among professional philharmonics to open the new orchestra season anywhere in the world. Gwyneth Chen, a Taiwan Zhiguang pride of Taiwan. This is a term that is reserved for the best of the best. Oscar winner Ang Lee, Major League Baseball star Wang Jiaming, number one women's golfer Zhen Yani, all of them are Taiwan Zhiguang. She has an amazing resume. She was part of Team Taiwan, which performed in the Bird's Nest in Beijing at the 2008 Olympics under the designation of Chinese Taipei. She was the youngest winner of the biggest cash prize in the history of piano competition at the age of 23. At the age of 19, she is still, to this day, the only Taiwanese who has made it to the finalist. Round in the Tchaikovsky International Piano Competition and took home a Russian fur coat, but she's a vegetarian. She's also a Steinway artist. It's not how much you spend preparing for one concert; it's how much you have spent in your life preparing for every concert, and especially how much you spent when you were just starting the piano as a child. The harder you work as a child, the less you have to work as an adult. For Taiwan's classical music community, the seriousness of the situation, the coronavirus, hit home when prominent composer Brett Dean, an artist in residence with the Taiwan Philharmonic, was confirmed with COVID-19 in early March this year. After he returned home to Australia, Mr. Dean has since recovered. Taiwan's 33-year-old National Concert Hall was immediately disinfected, and the rest of the concert season was mostly canceled or put online, as happened in major music centers around the world, from London to New York, Vienna to Moscow. Five months onward, Taiwan has been able to keep infections down. Concerts here are allowing live audiences again in a limited fashion. Taiwan's success in controlling the coronavirus is allowing the nation's soft power to flourish. The 
pandemic grounded artists who otherwise would be jet-setting around the world. It has left major stages scrambling to rebook star power performers and find new ways to allow the public to enjoy music, all the while without getting anyone sick. Usually at this time of year, Taiwanese-American Gwyneth Chen is traipsing around the world playing in front of packed houses in the United States and Europe. We are honored to be able to chat with today about her experiences at the forefront of Taiwan's soft power in classical music, including one special evening she shared with the Taiwan president, who is best remembered as a patron of performing arts here. She will be the piano soloist to open the coming concert season for the National Taiwan Symphony Orchestra. These are global stories, and this is the Taiwan Take. I'm your host, J.R. Wu. Welcome, Gwyneth. Hi, JR. Thanks for having me on the program. It's amazing that you can take the time to be here. Now, you're the artist-in-residence for the National Taiwan Symphony Orchestra. It's one of the top three orchestras in Taiwan. It's the oldest, founded in 1945 and based in Taichung, which is in central Taiwan. Now, this is not to be confused with the National Symphony Orchestra, which is also called the Taiwan Philharmonic. What's the difference between the two? Um, They're both full-size orchestras and just two brilliant orchestras in Taiwan. Right. Artist in residence. What does that mean? What have you been doing this past year? This is my second year as artist in residence for the NTSO, National Taiwan Symphony Orchestra. Uh, What I do as artist in residence is that I collaborate on a regular basis with the orchestra musicians in both piano concertos and chamber music concerts. So I am playing the opening concert of the season for their 2020 and 2021 season. Now, as I understand it, it is Beethoven's 250th anniversary of his birth, and also there's going to be some Rachmaninoff in there. Uh (laughs) (laughs) So on the first half of the program, I will be playing the Rachmaninoff Rhapsody on the theme of Paganini. Second half of the program, the orchestra is playing Beethoven's Symphony No. 5. Now these are, if I remember right, Paganini, Rachmaninoff one. That mm-hmm. was a very popular in Somewhere in Time yes, movie, right? Yes. With um, Christopher there's, Reeve. I, mm-hmm, there's a very famous uh, variation. Actually, what the work is known for, because it was used as a theme song. Everyone almost goes to the concert looking forward to this variation, to the 18th variation. Now, we're lucky to actually be sitting in the same room without face masks. How has the coronavirus impacted the classical music scene yourself? You're usually not here, right? I'm usually traveling around the world. I mean, for once, it's uh, good to be in the same country for almost a year, and I don't feel (laughs) jet-lagged anymore. (laughs) I'm finally over jet lag. 
it's a, actually a very good time for me to reflect, and that's very important for artists to do, and also a good time to learn repertoire and good time to spend with family and friends. Let's go around the world for a little bit. Stages you've been on. Now, as I understand it, Cupertino Flint Center on the west coast of the United States, Rockefeller University in New York City, Kennedy Center. What stages have you played on? Which is the one that you like best? I have to say the one I like best was in Croatia, in Dubrovnik. I once was on a concert tour in Croatia. So I played from the south to the north of Croatia. And of course, other than playing in great halls with great acoustics, I traveled almost all the time on a cruise ship between concerts. That was um, the most memorable tour for me. (laughs) Now, in Taiwan, there are a lot of world-class concert halls. Have you played at all of them? No, I haven't. And I'm really looking forward to that. I'm doing all of that in the next three months. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that. So I'm actually making my debut at the Taichung Opera House this month. And I will also be making my debut at the Kaohsiung Wei Wuying. That's the biggest performing arts center in the world. It just mm-hmm. opened mm-hmm. in 2018? I think so, and has five halls under the same roof. I will be playing there in December. I'm playing a really, really cool piece called Rock 3. It's actually Rachmaninoff Piano Concerto Number 3, but because it's so difficult to say, and also it's so long, Rachmaninoff is so long, so everyone says Rock 3. That's kind of cool. You've played, I mean, we've talked about these world-class stages. You have played for two Taiwan presidents. On July 30, Li Denghui, Taiwan's president from 1988 to 2000, passed away at the ripe old age of 97. He was Mr. Democracy. But I remember that night when we chatted, Gwyneth, that you said you were especially sad because, quote, no other president supported classical music the way he did, end quote. Um, I have to say that he's the president of the musicians, not only president of the people, but president of the musicians of Taiwan, because he's the only president until now in the history of Taiwan, who had a series of concerts at the presidential palace. And I was privileged to play there in 1997, a full recital for him and his guests and family and friends at a private concert at the presidential palace. Tell us about that evening. Um, Well, first of all, the whole experience was... A lifetime, life-changing experience, actually. It was 1997. 1997. You were 27. And it was an official trip for me. So I flew in from New York, of course, first class. And what I remember, I mean, I've played many concerts already by that time. But what I remember most was that even when I went to the restroom, the bodyguards had to follow me there. (laughs) That's what I remember most. Um, other than uh, perspiring a lot when I played, because it was in July, it was really, really hot, and I played Rachmaninoff. Rock 3. <laughs> Not Rock 3, but anyway, I played the Rachmaninoff Sonata 
which was also very physically demanding, and I perspired a lot. And I remember afterwards that President Lee said to me, I wanted to give you my handkerchief because you were perspiring so much, but I wasn't sure if I sh- could interrupt you during your performance. <laughs> he was very, very kind and very supportive to Taiwanese musicians, and we really, really need that. Now, it's pretty amazing when he was Taipei mayor, Taiwan was still in martial era. And in 1979, he launched the Taipei Arts Festival. It still runs to this day to bring culture and arts to this capital city. When he was president, a series of concerts, one that's looked forward to is the presidential office annual concert that still goes on today big extravaganza, celebrates the culture and arts here. I found a quote that he gave in 2014 when he visited a painting exhibition. He said, It is not enough for a country to develop only its economy. It must take care of its heart. It must have new thinking for its culture. This is the way Taiwan can develop. I agree completely. I think we should always work on the root of things. And the root of economy is actually culture. How so? Art is a food for the soul, basically is that. If your soul is full, you don't have to go out searching so much. And you're more grounded. If your soul is full, of course you're more grounded. Anything more about... Taiwan's classical music development? Well, we have great concerts here, and we have a lot of music schools. In fact, I think we have more than 25 high schools with a very serious music program. But I think I have to say that one thing they have ignored is the importance of learning a foreign language, of polishing and mastering a foreign language as simple as English and how that impacts classical music. How so? Well, because classical music came from Europe and we are playing Western music. So you have to feel the music in your, in your soul. To feel the music, you have to feel first the language and the culture. You really have to feel the language and get a very good grip of the language in order to feel classical music the right way. Give it to us through the lens of the etudes. Franz Liszt, you recently put out a CD. What is this? I'm not even going to try to introduce it. It's so amazing. Um, It's a set of etudes called the Transcendental Etudes by Franz Liszt. It's considered the most difficult repertoire in the entire piano repertoire. It's considered mission impossible. Just to play one, a lot of pianists are nearly dead after playing one etude. They (laughs) collapse after one, especially there's one called Wild Hunt. (laughs) Number eight is called Wild Hunt, and they are nearly dead after just one etude. Now imagining learning, not only learning all 12, but playing all 12, Some pianists play them in one concert, but six on the first half, and then intermission, and then six on the second half. To rest the fingers. Yes, just to rest yourself, to catch your breath, because the entire set takes about 70 minutes, 70 to 75 minutes. But I play them in one breath. 
One breath means you play from the first etude to the last. So seventy minutes, seventy minutes on the keys without a break. Wow! And they are each one physically demanding, but they are also very deep and profound. They were written in the same era as "Dream of the Red Chamber," "Hong Lo Meng." They are very, very similar to that literature. It starts. Of course, there's an introduction, and you will probably hear the first etude later. It starts with having everything in life, and then it peaks at number eight, which is wild hunt. And after number eight, when you are nearly dead, when you have almost no more energy, you have to go on. And it's with that drained soul that you have that you play nine to twelve. In nine to twelve, you are fading and diminishing. You're losing everything in life. You're losing money. You're losing family. You're losing material. And the last one, just like the dream of the red chamber, the last one is called blizzard. You've lost everything. Life ends with literally in the music. You hear a puff of snow. That's how it ends. It's not a heroic ending, like a fortissimo ending, like in most masterworks. It's not. It ends with pianissimo, because you've lost everything in life. Monstrously formidable sound poems. That's what these etudes were described. When did you record this? I recorded this, and I also played the program live in the year 2011 because it was the 200th anniversary of Franz Liszt. So it was a project for me. I learned it to commemorate the anniversary of Liszt. So I played it at the National Concert Hall in Taiwan, the in one Taiwan. where you're going to be at the end of this month,、mm-hmm. in one breath to a full house. And it my eyes dropping, and it was such a memorable, memorable concert, even for me, because I wasn't sure if I would still be alive after <laughs> the concert. <laughs> I, I was, I'm serious. I thought if I drop dead at the end of the concert, it's worth it. My goodness, <laughs> how long did it take to master it? Meaning the practice.、Uh, you go into a practice session and you stay in there for like eight hours. Well, Every day, that's, that's common. I do that all the time. So- <laughs> oh my god, it's like t- picking up a pencil for you, isn't it? <laughs>、um, but I didn't mention that I was the second female pianist to have performed this set of etudes live. Wow! Because it's actually hazardous to the health. <laughs> Wait, are you really serious? Like, there's a possibility somebody could actually expire. Yeah, yeah,、after. you could actually collapse. During the performance, because it's so it's so physically demanding, so I was saying it's such a memorable concert for me because after I finished and it was broadcast live, by the way, on TV, no mistakes allowed. Yeah, so it was a full house because people wanted to see not how I played them, but how I was going to finish this program. So after I finished the program, it was the first time that I was in tears on stage after I finished, and the audience gave me a standing ovation. And you were they crying. Were, for I was crying. Happiness, sadness. Why? No, I was crying. Relief. No, it was everything. I was crying because I, I finished a Mission Impossible. 
Right. And the audience was in tears also. They gave me a standing ovation and they were in tears. I was in tears. The whole house was in tears. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Let's have a listen to the first number. And then it kind of goes on to the second one without a break. The second one, A2 number two, is called. There's no official name, but there's a subtitle called the Rocket. And why is it called a rocket? It's because it's as fast as a rocket. Really? And so when I first saw the music, I wasn't sure if it was humanly possible to play. So is it like、um, <laughs> if I was looking at your fingers on the piano, it would be a blur. It's that fast. Exactly. First of all, it's like doing acrobat on the keyboard. It crosses five octaves in less than one second. Five What? O- less than one yeah, five, second? Five octaves is almost two thirds of the keyboard in less than one second. So like a rocket. That's why it's called a rocket. Wow! So imagine how、I、much、cannot. you have to practice. <laughs> My God! Okay, so yeah, how how long did you practice to master doing this in one breath?、Um, Six months? Two no, years? Not, no, no, no. It took less than a year actually. I didn't spend that much time preparing for this concert. It's not how much you spend preparing for one concert. It's how much you have spent in your life preparing. <laughs> yourself for every concert, and especially how much you spent when you were just starting the piano as a child. The harder you work as a child, the less you have to work as an adult. I'm, I'm talking about being a pianist. You have to work very hard as a child, from the time you're five to about fifteen. Now you did put out a children's book. I actually had my kids、uh, read it. Tell us about your childhood. That was what the children's book actually covered mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm.、Um, like I said, you have to spend a lot of time practicing as a child because foundation is so important. You moved to the U.S. when you were. I moved to the U.S. when I was nine years old. Uh, I uh, met a very good piano teacher who gave me very strong foundation in piano playing. He taught me that foundation is important, like the root of a tree. So the stronger the root is, the taller the tree will grow. That's why I said you have to spend a lot of time working as a child. You can't miss a lesson. 
And you I, were all over California competing and winning. By the time I was 12, I was already taking part in a lot of competitions and winning. As a result of winning a lot of competitions, especially the national competitions, I was invited to play a lot of concerts. So I was traveling a lot as a child and alone. Wow. And then you also then went on to Juilliard. Yes. And it's very interesting how I applied to college. Uh, I understand a lot of people apply to more than five schools or even more, as many as eight or 10. Well, I only applied to one school. So I had to get in. If I didn't get in, I would have no school to go to. But by the time I was high school seniors, I was already winning all the piano competitions in the U.S., all of them. So I wasn't really worried about a college audition. So I was in school and concertizing at the same time. <laughs> I was working at McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're a young media startup called Ghost Island Media. To get every episode of the Taiwan Take, just hit subscribe on your podcast app. Do you have a tip for us? For news tips, tweet at us at Ghost Island Me. For dollar tips, send them to us on Patreon.com/slash Taiwan. Back to our interview. Now I also know that you're very. Uh, you practice a lot, but you don't just practice in front of a piano. You actually need flour to work your fingers. You read literature. You jump on one leg. How How did you get to the top of your class, Pride of Taiwan? For me, playing the piano, what the audience sees is just the glamour on stage. They hear the music. They watch me play, but they don't know what it takes to get there. They don't know the amount of work and cultivation it takes to get there. Not only what to do, but what not to do. In order to play the piano, you have to focus on, work on both the technical part and also the artistic part. So the technical part, I call it piano kung fu. I actually have a series of seminars on piano kung fu, and one of the kung fu is actually kneading dough. And We're talking about <laughs> bread dough, right? Yes. My goodness, you're massaging this bread dough, right? Yes, because we're using very powerful but slow movement in the arms to play big, powerful, and round, gentle but powerful sounds. And... Also, a lot of energy is centered around the, in Chinese, called dantian. And the power comes from the feet. So that's why there's also exercise on standing on one leg. <laughs> one leg meditation. <laughs> so it's literally piano kung fu. That's only the technical part. And the artistic part is uh, a lot of reading and a lot of art history and a lot of getting acquainted with culture, different kinds of culture, European culture and Eastern culture as well. Do you speak other languages, Gwyneth? I speak a little bit of Russian, actually, because I love Russian repertoire in general. So I lived in Russia at one point. But other than Russian, of course, English and Chinese. Gwyneth, you're recognized as a Steinway artist. Now, a Steinway piano is the thoroughbred of pianos 
in the piano universe. So what's a Steinway artist? What does it mean? It means you only perform on Steinway pianos. <laughs> um, I, I really enjoy being a Steinway artist <laughs> because you have Steinway families wherever you travel. And that means when you travel to a, a city, you go to the Steinway in that city and you can practice there. Sometimes I do master classes there. So you feel like you have a family, a Steinway family, wherever you travel to. Now, Steinway mm. pianos, for listeners who may not be musically minded like myself, there are more than 12,000 individual parts potentially for a grand piano. Uh, it's handcrafted. It's either made in Germany or it's made in New York. New York. Mm -hmm. Tell us more. 96% of the concerts in the world are performed on Steinway pianos. So there are Steinway pianos almost in every concert hall. And there are many, many Steinway pianists, Steinway artists in the world. I would say more than 2,000. So you have Steinway families and you have Steinway colleagues as well. So you can only play on Steinway pianos? What if it, one isn't there? There are times when certain concert halls don't have Steinway pianos. Then I ask my Steinway family in the Steinway house to bring in a Steinway piano to the concert Did, hall. Uh, let, me, let me get this right. So you're serious. There are Steinway houses. There are. So like a family might have a Steinway piano and they just let you in to play. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not actually kidding here. I, yeah, I actually don't know. Yeah, I'm serious too. The, sometimes they're called Steinway galleries. They're just Steinway piano, piano shops. So I go there to practice and they bring in a piano for me to the concert. So... You were telling me a really interesting trivia about your upcoming concert and how you could choose your piano. Mm. I'm very proud of Taiwan's National Concert Hall in Taipei. I think we have the biggest piano selection room in the world among all concert halls. We have eight concert grand pianos. There are five Steinways in there, three other kinds of pianos. How big is this room? This room is not huge. There are only pianos in there and almost no room to walk. So when the pianist comes for a concert, there's always a day schedule for the pianist. So the piano goes into this room. He or she tries on all eight pianos and selects one among the eight. How do you try them? You play on all eight of them. So they give you half an hour to one hour. What else about being a Steinway artist is interesting for you or perhaps for our listeners? Um, I think it's really cool that if there are no Steinway pianos, I can call up Steinway and ask them to bring in the piano. Wow. <laughs> I think it's really cool. Do you have a Steinway yourself? I have two at home. All right. Since we're talking about jet setting in that uh, style, tell us a bit about how it is to be a solo pianist, the first class cabins, the glitzy capitals you get to play at, and then tell us what you think of that lifestyle. You know, most people see only the glamour side of it. I focus more on not only what I do, but on what I don't do. And that's what most people don't see. And the reason why is that it's important to not get burned out. 
at age 40. A lot of musicians get burned out, even as early as 35, 40, 45, 50, around that age. Because, well, first of all, you get tired traveling so much. And second, you can easily get swell-headed, you know, big-headed with this lifestyle. And because as piano soloist, you're mm-hmm. the star of the show. They bought the ticket to see you. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Especially as a piano soloist, you play alone on stage or you're a soloist with an orchestra. So you're always the center of attention. You tell people what to do and what not to do. And, you know, you call the shots and people cater to you all the time. And it's easy to take that for granted. Even after one year of concertizing, it's easy to do that even off stage. And you've done it for at least 30 years. Mm-hmm. I watch myself all the time. Every day on a daily basis, I reflect and I watch myself because I want to play the list transcendental etudes even when I'm 80. <laughs> I think that's a great goal. Um, uh, Let me go back. Tell us what you don't do. You were saying there are things that it's important. important. So what didn't you do? What missed opportunity that you were glad to miss? It's It's important not to take things for granted. It's important not to be a diva. (laughs) What's a diva? Even though people expect you to be a diva. I personally like to do everything myself. You know, we have the privilege of asking for anything, we, almost anything we want before concerts. I mean, I can even specify the brand of water I want if I wanted to or the brand of chocolate I want, and they'll get it for me. Anything, you name it, especially before concerts or after. But I never, I never do that because I believe that the longevity of one's career is based on what you do after a concert. This is something a regular concert goer would never think about. No, no. I don't. Before a concert, of course, you prepare. So how do you prepare? You practice. And after a concert, what do you do? That's key. It's what you do after a concert because... At the concert, you get a lot of applause, you get attention, you get standing ovations, then there's autograph session. I mean, it's very flattering. And then after that, when you go back to your hotel room, especially the next day, the next morning, there is no more applause. There's no more people standing in line for you, giving you all the attention. Then what do you do? Suddenly, you feel like a nobody. And that may go on for a week, or that may go on just for a day, or it could be a month. And you have to really keep a really good balance. So it's, I focus on what I do after a concert. What do you do mm. after? You know, you have to treat it just like any other day, and that's so hard. That's the hardest part. Of course, you can party a little bit. You can celebrate. And you can stay up until <laughs> two or three. Right. But if you have another concert, sometimes we'll play three, four concerts in a row, back to back. If you have another concert the next day and you stay up until four, you party until four, piano soloists are the only musician who play from memory. Everyone what? else plays with the music in front of them. Wait, you have music in front of no, you? No, no, we Meaning can't. Meaning when I see pictures? No, no, never. Seriously? We, we can't look at the music. Even the music stand is removed from the piano. So pay attention at my concert. When you come on August 30th, uh-huh. 
Look at the piano. There is no music stand. It's removed. But that's because you're so professional. But if a pianist no, needed it, they could have.、A... You cannot. Why? Only when you're accompanying someone, you can、oh. read. You can use the music. But if you're a soloist, you cannot use the music. This is an etiquette.、Mm. This is a ironclad rule <laughs> of the industry. I am totally an outsider. This is just. How it's done? Because when you're a soloist, you're on stage, you're more professional, and you're playing alone, so you don't read the music. It's just wow. So you're talking、done. about France list the etude seventy minutes、mm-hmm. all without music, all all from, from your head,、uh-huh, from your head. So goes to show you how. How clear your head has to be. Now, if you party until four, especially if you drink a lot, it's just not going to work. There have been some musicians who not only got burned out, but they died from partying too much after concerts. Now, that's only one thing. That's one thing you can easily avoid is to not party too much after a concert. And then there are other things like just keeping yourself grounded after playing thousands of concerts. You know, on stage you have to be that star. Off stage, you have to be a very ordinary human being. You just have to reflect a lot and just work on yourself a lot, on your humility. Now you do a lot of motivational talking, is it?、Mm-hmm. All right. I give a lot of talks to young people. I think just in general for anyone, not just young people, it's very important to be inspired on a daily basis. And it's very important to stay positive. So it's important to have a role model. So I would like to be that role model for young people. There are some young people who are very gifted, but they don't know that they're gifted, or they are gifted and they don't have the right guidance, or they don't know the path that they should take. So I would like to be that person to guide them and to inspire them and to motivate them. Um, what more、uh, do you want to talk about in this episode?、Uh, yes, I think that everyone should learn the piano. <laughs> I think coming from an artist like yourself, well said. Yeah, and I will tell you why. Because it's good for the body, mind, and soul. It's good for in every way. Even you know, you don't have to be a professional pianist. You don't have to even play in front of a public. You don't even have to perform, but just. To be able to play a song, because first of all, it's good physically for you. According to Chinese doctors, <laughs> it's important to stimulate fingertips and to exercise the fingers. And for the mind, it's good to play the piano because you have to memorize the music. And each hand is playing different things. It's very complicated, extremely complicated. Not to mention, you need very good coordination. So in that sense, it's good for the mind. Now for the soul, like I said, it's food for the soul. So when you play the piano, when you make music, your soul is full, and you pretty much don't need、um, much else. No wonder you're so gorgeous and slim, <laughs> Gwyneth. <laughs> Gwyneth Chen, Taiwan Zhiguang. Thank you so much for sharing today. Again, you're opening the concert season for National Taiwan Symphony Orchestra later this month. Yes, these are two concerts、um, on August twenty ninth and thirtieth. August twenty ninth at the Taichung 
Opera House in the large Opera House, and August thirtieth, Sunday at two thirty at the Taipei National Concert Hall. And we will be playing Rachmaninoff's Rhapsody on Theme of Paganini and Beethoven's Symphony Number、no. Five with Maestro Schreilan. And now we'll close with Gwyneth playing Franz Liszt. The CD was released in 2019 by Chimay Museum. This has been a Goose Island Media production, based in Taipei, Taiwan. This episode was produced by me, Emily Waiwu. Our researcher is Sam Robbins. Brand design by Thomas Lee. We recorded this at Futureword, a co-working space in Taipei. Thanks for listening, and see you at the opening.